the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Assurance. When you die, do you have assurance that heaven will be your home? Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and listen in as we learn from the Bible how to have assurance. Take your Bibles as you're seated this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 8, continuing our series in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles this morning. We're coming to, in Romans chapter 8, we're coming to a very... clear end to this section in the book of Romans. And and um, the book of Romans has five major sections, and we're coming to the end of the third one, which is chapter 6 to chapter number 8. And um, it's a, a section that has, uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background, that has carefully uh, declared the truth that all men must come to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Uh, Uh, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Can you say amen to that? We are sinners in need of a Savior. Then in chapter 8, we deal with, in in 6 and 7, we deal with that reality. And then in chapter 8, we deal with what we call the assurance of salvation, how you can know for sure that you know Christ. When we talk about salvation or saved, those are just Bible words that mean we know that we have eternal life. So we have the assurance of salvation. Let me say this very clearly. If you're a believer, if you're saved, God wants you to have assurance in your salvation. God wants you to have assurance in your salvation. God doesn't want you to doubt. The scriptures were written. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, these things write I unto you that you may know, that means have an intellectual knowledge, it's the word gnosis, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know with certainty that you have eternal life. These things write unto you that you know that you have eternal life. God wants us to have that understanding. God wants you to have assurance in your salvation. Now, as we come to the text this morning, let me give you a brief background from last week. Last week, we saw the demonstration of God's character in keeping his promises uh, to the people of the Old Testament. Remember, I said last week, if you were here, if you weren't, you can go back and listen to it, and I encourage you to do so. But Last week I said a promise is only as good as the person making the promise or the character of the person making the promise. Um, I, I've had uh, some of the children in our church promise to give me vast amounts of wealth for a piece of candy. Like, Pastor, I'll give you a, 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 I'll give you a hundred dollars for a piece of candy. You know, they don't say it that way, but they say it, a, you know, different way. Not that a hundred is a vast amount of wealth. Matter of fact, in this economy, it's not much, but, um, 
but they, they say, we'll give you this. Well, they, they don't understand what they're saying. And some people make promises and based on their character, you can't really trust them. But God made a promise to the people of the Old Testament that they would see the Messiah, put their faith in the Messiah. And after Jesus died, he left earth. He went to heaven. He, he, after he died on the cross, he poured his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, restored fellowship with God. And then you remember from last week's message, if you were here, that he went and he he preached to the captives that were in prison or the Old Testament saints that were in what we called for simplicity and understanding's sake, the Old Testament heaven. He went and he preached to them and they accepted Christ as their savior because everybody that goes to heaven must accept Jesus Christ as their savior. They accepted Christ as their savior and they went to heaven to be with the Lord. We saw something into the character of Christ in keeping with encouragement based on the character of God. Our passage teaches us this morning that there are a multitude of reasons to rejoice. There are a multitude of reasons to rejoice. You might be here today and think like, I don't have anything to rejoice about, Pastor. Well, hopefully by the end of the message today, you will realize that you have a lot to rejoice about. You have a huge number of things to rejoice about. Now, humanly speaking, people rejoice about a lot of things. People rejoice. I was just thinking in my office this week about things people rejoice about. People rejoice about the birth of a child. Uh, people get really excited. I remember the day, the, the, I remember the Friday night that Debbie told me she was expecting our first daughter, Judith, and how excited that we were and uh, how thrilled we were. I remember the day that Judith was born, uh, 27 years ago this last week. She just celebrated a birthday, and uh, thanks for those of you that sent her text to the world to her. And uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Uh, we were in a hospital in Glendora, California, still in college, and uh, Judith was born, and after everything was done, I grabbed my phone card. How many are old enough to remember what a phone card is? How many of you don't know what a phone card is? Anybody don't know what a, Okay, you're young, and I'll explain it to you. A phone card back in the day, pre-cell phones, phones were expensive. And if you paid with coins, remember you'd have to pay with coins at the, at the, um, at the what they call those things? payphone. Yeah, it's been a while since I've had to do that. And uh, you, you'd have to pay with coins in a payphone. And uh, so uh, somebody came up with an idea of phone cards. And they, when they first came out, they were like a dollar a minute for long distance. How many of you remember that? You know, it was a dollar a minute for long distance. And so you didn't have, it was real expensive. And if you, a dollar back then was like, like a lot of money. And so, especially when you were in college back then. And so you didn't have a lot of money. So uh, before long, uh, you, they came up with these things called phone phone cards, and you could buy a phone card from places like MCI, a defunct company now, but you could buy a phone card and you would pay like 10 cents a minute or 20 cents a minute, whatever, and they'd run sales. And I can remember when Judith was born, I had a 10 cent a minute phone card with a hundred minutes. You would buy the minutes prepaid and I grabbed the phone card and I went to the pay phone. Thanks for helping me out with that word. Uh, and I went to the pay phone and, um, dialed in my like 37 digit number. How many of you remember that? And you get one number wrong, you had to start all over again. And my parents answered the phone and I said, hey mom. She said, wait, did it happen? Like the rapture or something. Yeah, it happened. And, uh, and she said, wait a minute, I, I wanna get your dad. So my dad and mom got on the phone. Okay, tell us, tell us, tell us. Debbie had a baby. Oh, 
we've been waiting for that. It was almost anticlimactic, like, okay, well, I mean, it was fine. And then Natalie was born in Texas, and my mother-in-law was there, and my, my parents were there, and so we didn't really have anyone to call then. Uh, and, uh, but, but we were excited to celebrate the birth of a child. I love it when people come to me, and they, they tell me. It always starts out in private, Pastor. We wanted you to know and Debbie to know that we're expecting, but please keep it on the down low. We don't want anybody to know. But when, then they tell everybody, and they celebrate. It's awesome. Celebrate the birth of a child. I, I like it when people celebrate weddings. People getting married. Uh, they live their, you know, life. They find that person that God wants them to marry, and, and they start dating, and, and they go through the ups and downs. Should we? Shouldn't we? Is he? Is she? Uh, maybe we will. Maybe we won't. And they, they just, you know, they, they don't know exactly whether to live by faith and do it, whether God's calling them to do it. So they just pull out a coin, and they flip. Heads is yes. Tails is no. Landed heads. We're getting married. And then they, they walk down the aisle at the church and we, we uh, take that, those vows very seriously before God and man. And they say, I do, I do. They sign the dotted line, which makes it all official. And then they walk out of the church and we, and we cheer for them. We, we celebrate their good fortune. We celebrate them coming together in life. And then we do counseling later. And, um, and it's awesome. People celebrate new jobs. Love when people tell me, hey, I got the job of my dream. I'm excited about it. We, we celebrate cool vacations. Last night, Debbie and I, we were, we were in bed doing what everybody does in bed in 2023. We were looking at our phones. And uh, we had, it's been a busy week. And so uh, we uh, had opportunity to, uh, to go on vacation. And, and we have opportunity coming up in August. And we're trying to decide which place to stay. And so we're looking through the different places. And we picked a place. And, and we're able to go and we were really excited about it and we were so excited we rolled over and went to sleep once we got it reserved and we, but, but we really were happy about it we celebrate that hey I'm going too and then you fill in the blank or, or whatever I'm going on vacation nobody's ever said hey I'm going to El Centro um, nobody's ever celebrated that um, we celebrate sporting events people like to celebrate sporting events this last February, Alex Maharo and I, with our wives, were in uh, Medellin, Colombia for the uh, wedding of Chesley and Jessica Howell. And while we were there, it was the national championship soccer match between the national team and Primera. And uh, I have a picture or I have a video of it. Bring that up. Let me tell you, people were celebrating that penalty kick because that put us up in the points and those people have been celebrating and Alex and I and the two other guys we were with, we were rooting for the national team because they were the home team and, and uh, they were green and white and, and we didn't know really the culture of the people. But one thing I learned in Colombia and in other parts of the world, always root for the home team. There was about 500 people rooting for the other team and they had their own section. This is not an exaggeration. And they had armed guards around them, not like guns with like guys with side holsters. They had people with full on riot gear, full on combat gear, like shin pads, knee pads, thigh pads, breastplates, helmets, face masks, arm pads, gloves with that, that are protected with, with Kevlar. I mean, it was, it was impressive that they, they had uh, fully automatic 
automatic weapons with them. And, and uh, they had the people uh, from the Primera team over there. Just for, for the sake of life, we rooted for the national team. And when we won, we celebrated. Matter of fact, Alex was really wise because we didn't want anybody to doubt. We went to the knockoff store and we bought two jerseys that were green and white. They said Nike. We bought them for $13. So you know they were legit. And um, we were, matter of fact, Alex bought two. He bought the first one. And he's like, this one feels kind of tight. And we're like, 13 bucks, buy another one. He's like, right on. So he went back and bought another one. It was not a money back guarantee. He could sell you one right now for $13. And matter of fact, he'll sell it to you uh, at a discount, $12.99. And um, I mean, we, we had a great time. People celebrated around Medellin. People were celebrating. People were jumping up and down. It was a, it was a big party because the team, of the, the city team won the national championship. And it was, it was really, really kind of fun to be a part of that. Absolutely, every one of those things are worthy of celebrating. Well, I would submit to you that the Christian has a lot more to rejoice about than any of those things that I just mentioned. If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. As a matter of fact, Paul is ending a very thorough and deep, passage from chapter 6 to chapter 8, and really, we, we could even argue from chapter 1 to the end of chapter 8, and, and Paul is ending this passage of Scripture, and he is bringing to light the reality that we have so much to rejoice about, so much to celebrate, so much to enjoy uh, because of the goodness and the greatness and the graciousness of God. And we bring our, our text is found in verse 31 to 35. And I want you to know this is, this is really one message, but because of time, I'm limited because it would take about an hour and 30 minutes to preach the whole thing from 31 to 39. So I broke it up into two. I'll do section one this week or part one this week, part two next week. And part one is this. We have something to celebrate because the work God has done for us. The work God has done for us. Sometimes... People think the Christian life is all about performance. Like they've got to perform. They've got to do something. If I do something, then God will be happy with me. Now, let me say this with clarity. God certainly expects us to grow in the wisdom and the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He certainly expects us to grow in holiness. He certainly expects us to grow in Christ's likeness. As a matter of fact, we'll get to chapter 12, 13, and 14 in Romans, and Paul deals with the morality and the moral implications of Christianity. He says in 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This physical body is to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God expects us to grow in Christ's likeness. God is not satisfied with where you are at spiritually. 
God is pleased, if you will, but he's not satisfied if we define satisfied this way, like God going, we're good. You go do your thing. You've reached a a level that I wanted you to reach. We're good. No, no. We're to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We're to constantly strive to get closer and closer and closer to Christ. And there's a spiritual responsibility for growth on our part. There's a spiritual uh, resilience that we have to have in times of difficulty and challenge to grow to be more like Christ. There's a spiritual need that is on our uh, uh, on us to push our way forward for the cause of Jesus Christ and for the cause of discipleship in our own hearts and lives. Sometimes I've heard people say, and maybe you have too, people have said like, I'm good, I know that. Christianity, the Bible, is not simply a knowledge-based religion or a performance-based religion. It is a relationship of discipleship that brings us every single day closer to the person of Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. God is the one who does most of the work. In your spiritual life, God is the one who does the work. The reason so many people get so frustrated is because they, they, they try really, really hard in their own power to do the work. But Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse number 20, where he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus says, become like me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus says, I'm under control. I'm gonna be humble about this and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have, we have to make this statement because we want to be honest for a minute. Well, we want to be honest the whole service, but we, we need to be honest. In our world, we often think that being a Christian is the hardest thing in the world to be. When in reality, a follower of Jesus Christ who is living by the word and living in accordance with the word will find rest for our souls. Why? Because our yoke is easy, or his yoke is easy, and his burden is life. Light, when you partner with Jesus, when you get in the yoke with Jesus, he is the one that is doing the majority of the work. He, he doesn't allow laziness by any means. He can't pull you along. But understand, and here's a word picture, Jesus is going to carry the majority of the load. You do have some work to, to do, but make no mistake, he's the one doing most of the work. Well, I find it so hard to live for Christ. It was so much easier when I was in the world. Wait a minute. Satan has, Satan has three desires in your life. He has three desires. These are the only three desires that he has. He chose to be this way. These are Satan's three desires. To steal from you, to destroy you, and to kill you. That's all he desires to do. He wants to steal from you, he wants to destroy you, and he wants to kill you. He's a liar, he'll lie, he'll deceive you so that he can steal from you, destroy you, and kill you. That's all Satan wants to do. So bring that verse back up. So when Jesus says, I'm a meek and lowly master, and we compare that to Satan, who is a vile, murderous dictator, why would we think that living for Christ is so hard? Well, sometimes we think living for Christ is so hard because 
Well, if we're just honest, we don't understand the goodness of the Lord in our life. And we don't always understand that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. New members class happened on Wednesday night, second class, and I was teaching it. And after the class, I had the privilege of leading one of the men in the class to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ right upstairs. It was, it was awesome. I was so thankful for the opportunity. And I'd witnessed to him before, and he, he's like, I, I'm saved, I'm saved. And then he said on Wednesday night, after hearing the messages from the last couple of weeks, I know without a doubt I'm not saved, and I want to get saved. I want to get this settled. And so we talked this morning after the great 30 service, and, and I said, hey, how's your week been? And he said, Pastor, I'm invigorated. I, this, these were his words. I have a peace in my soul that I've never had before. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The reason some of you might be sitting there right now going, I don't know, I would like to have that peace. Well, that peace comes with obedience to the Lord and obedience to the word. You got to be in the yoke for his yoke to be easy and his burden to be light. Well, we know without a doubt that the work of God, that work God has done for us. And so I want to share with you this morning four reasons to rejoice that we see in this text. Now, Paul is using a rhetorical style. That means he's going to ask questions and he's going to answer them on his own. He wants us to internalize these truths that he's been teaching as we move to a new level of confidence in God. So he's going to ask questions and answer them. So notice the first question in verse number 31. What shall we say? say to these things. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, that's rhetorical. Obviously, God is for us because that's what he's been talking about. So the reason that we have to rejoice in the work God has done for us, number one, is that God is for us. He's for us. He launches this new direction when he says, what shall we say to these things? Paul is saying, I've laid out my case for the character of God. I've laid it out from chapter one to here, but specifically six, seven, and eight, though the Bible was not written in chapters and verses we know, but in this letter that Paul writes, I've laid out my case for the character of God and I've established it. What shall we say about God? These things, believers in Rome, new Christians in Rome, Jews in Rome, Gentiles in Rome, and and he's getting ready to jump into some super deep theological stuff in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And, And before he gets into any of that, he's establishing this reality that we cannot come but to one conclusion when we ask about all the things that Paul has said about the Lord and his desire for us. And this is this, if God be for us, who can be against us, we come to one conclusion, and that is this reality that God is for us. He's for us. Look, if you look quickly, God, back in the last week's message, 29 and 30, God didn't leave the Old Testament saints to sin, sin and, or sit endlessly in a state of waiting. He promised in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come. He promised in the Old Testament that they would hear the message of the gospel. And though they were Old Testament saints, they had put their hope in Christ. They put their hope in a coming Messiah. And they were then waiting in what we called for simplicity's sake, the Old Testament heaven. While they were waiting, Jesus dies. He goes to heaven. He restores relationship with the Father, pours the blood on the mercy seat. And then he goes and he preaches to them. And and he leads captivity captive into heaven. It's a beautiful illustration, or not really illustration, a beautiful evidence of the character of God. 
God is for you. If you're saved, now remember, Paul is talking to believers. Paul is not talking to lost people here. Paul is not talking to people who don't know Christ as their Savior. Paul is talking to people who have a firm confidence that they are saved because they put their faith and trust in Christ alone. And he is saying here with with great authority, guys, you're saved. Number one, understand this, God is for you. He's for you. Dear friend, there may be some times when, when you feel alone. There may be some times when you wish answers would would come that don't come as fast as you desire. Make no mistake, if you're saved, God is still for you. Sometimes we we, we have questions and and some are more prone to melancholiness or some are more prone even to depression or some are more prone to maybe some other struggles in their life. And and things come and we we start veering towards that struggle and, and we begin to wonder who's for me and how can I get out of this or why am I stuck in this spot or why am I thinking about this again? Make no mistake, in those moments, God is still for you. That's what Paul says. God's for us. Verse number 32, not only is God for us, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Not only is God for us, the other, another work that God has done for us is Christ died for us. One can't help but think that Paul, his mind is going back to the book of Genesis chapter 22 that tells the story of the patriarch Abraham, who, when he was 75 years old and one of the wealthiest men in the world, God told him to leave everything and to go into what is called the promised land. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful message. Before we go, If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian and how to go to heaven after you die, we invite you to visit our website, CanyonRidgeRadio.com, for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m., at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, our pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.